Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We are very busy on this Friday show. Sounds like last night, Georgia moved a scrimmage that was supposed to be on Saturday up a little earlier just because of weather and things like that. So my advice to you is stay close to DogNation.com. You want information about what's coming out of UGA practice, you can certainly get plenty of that there over the course of the next 24 hours or so. Georgia putting those finishing touches on what's going to be a terrific G-Day next Saturday. So some of that having to be altered because what we expect to be pretty rough weather here on this particular Saturday, some of that's going to impact your master's viewing for those of you into doing that, for your Easter egg hunts and things like that, for those of you who are into that there as well. So there is a lot uh, to kind of be mindful of as it relates to the weather this particular weekend. Georgia practice a part of that too. Now, we'll, we'll get into that, but for now, let me do something a little bit different because There's something out there today that I think is kind of fun, but I don't think it quite adds up to what some Tennessee fans hope that it does. Not the not the first time lately the Tennessee fans have hoped for something not to get it. uh, To be completely frank with you, but there was a statement that Kirby Smart made. I guess it was last Saturday, and there are some people who've tried to sort of make this into a thing. I honestly don't know if it's intended to be a thing, and I'll tell you why here coming up in just a moment. But for some context for where we need to go today, let me go back to last week. Kirby Smart giving us an update on Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, the two quarterbacks primarily right now competing to be Georgia's starting quarterback. And Smart kind of went into a little bit more of what the evaluation is, what he's looking for, and what it takes to be Georgia's starting quarterback, filling the shoes of Stetson Bennett, who just helped lead Georgia to two straight national championships. What do you need from Carson or what do you need from Brock, the eventual starter here at Georgia to begin the 2023 season? Pretty candid stuff from Kirby. And there were some people kind of out there in the internet world, social media world, They kind of wanted to turn this into a little bit of a narrative about something. But nonetheless, for context, this is Kirby Smart last Saturday. Demeanor communication. So, like, I can can get the stats, but it's like a true quarterback is a decision maker. In our system, because some systems take all the pressure off the quarterback and they just go really fast, we don't do that. We're a quarterback-driven offense. So can you process the information? That means get the signal. Get people lined up. Then see what the defense is in and figure out, are we in the right situation? Which of these three choices Coach Bobo's given me am I going to utilize on this play? And then the play happens, and there might be a mistake or a breakdown, and you not go full metal jacket and have catastrophe mode and put us in a bad situation. So you know, decision-making is the number one thing I want to see at the quarterback position. Can you make consecutive decisions over and over that don't cost our team games? Because we have enough playmakers and we have enough plays that you will make a play inevitably. Don't make a bonehead play. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So to me, that's a pretty thorough statement from Kirby Smart on the subject of quarterbacks and kind of what he wants to see there. But there were some people, and this was even true last Saturday, and even some Georgia fans kind of noticed this a little bit, the part there kind of in the middle where Kirby Smart says, hey, we want our quarterbacks, I'm paraphrasing here, we want our quarterbacks to be decision makers. We want them to process a lot of information. He says there are some teams who essentially just want to go fast. In other words, they're simplifying the game in order to just go fast, and they're trying to have success through the speed with which they play. And that particular statement from Kirby Smart kind of comparing and contrasting the Georgia situation where he says, we're asking a lot from our quarterbacks. This is different than other places where they just want to go fast, basically kind of dumbing things down and simplifying things for quarterbacks. 
there were some people who wanted to pull that out and make that be some sort of statement. And some people kind of turned that into, ooh, this is Kirby subtweeting Josh Heupel from Tennessee. This is one of those statements meant to kind of be a little bit of a needle to Josh Heupel and you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, jab at him because Heupel is a coach who, in the minds of some, just sort of wants to go fast. Well, the fact that Tennessee fans, at least some in, in some cases, social media, message boards, things like that, the fact that some of them kind of took this as a message about Heupel, even though obviously Kirby doesn't mention Tennessee or Josh Heupel by name or even allude to them in any way, to me, this comes across as a little bit of a tell. In other words, if you hear Kirby Smart speaking here and that makes you a little self-conscious or that makes you uh, a little bit aggravated, oh, is he talking about us? <laughs> that may tell me more about you than it does Kirby Smart. If you even think that remark resembles you, uh, then <laughs> that may tell me more about you than it does the situation here at Georgia. But nonetheless, it's spring football. Everybody's looking for whatever peg they can grab hold of to have something interesting to talk about here. And so uh, Josh Heupel was kind of asked about his quarterback situation this week. And whether it's by coincidence or whether it was intentionally, it seemed like Josh Heupel offered a little bit of response to the notion that there are some offenses out there that just want to go fast, that aren't asking a lot from their quarterbacks. Josh Heupel seemed intent to let folks know that if that's true anywhere, it's not true here. Here's a little bit of a defensive, a little bit of a sensitive Josh Heupel kind of arguing a little, you know, what's the line from Shakespeare? Thou doth protest a little bit too much seems like there's a little bit of a protesting on the part of um uh, a josh heupel here about exactly what he's asking from his quarterbacks this was sort of thought in some circles to be a clap back from heupel against kirby so we'll stir up the pot with it too i guess this is josh heupel from uh, i believe it's yesterday our guys control everything i don't think there's anybody in america that puts more on their quarterbacks uh, run run checks run pass checks loaded boxes alerts kills um, they got to do it all and um, so he's highly instrumental in the efficiency and effectiveness of our run game so some people took that as you know kirby smart said hey there are some offenses out there that just want to go fast they're not putting a lot on their quarterbacks josh heupel who i would say offensively probably goes faster than anybody does right now in college football says hey uh we're not simplifying things for quarterback when we go fast. I don't think there's anybody in America that puts more on their quarterbacks than we do. Now, all of this is about who prepares you the most for the NFL. And let's face it, there has been this narrative out there. When you look at some of the offenses in college football historically that have gone the fastest, that they haven't always prepared their quarterbacks the best for what's going to happen at the next level. And the good news here for Josh Heupel is, is that we're about to find out exactly how the NFL views his quarterback from the last couple of years that has obviously been so instrumental in the early success that Heupel's had there. We're going to see how the NFL views uh, Hendon Hooker. Do they view him as a first-round pick? Statistically speaking, you would sort of think that he should be uh, viewed that way. How many touchdown passes did he throw? How many points did Tennessee score? Statistically speaking, you would think that Hendon Hooker should be drafted in the first round based on the kind of numbers that he put up. The injury at the end of the season, notwithstanding, that's an injury that you recover from. You eventually get better from an ACL tear or whatever knee injury it was that he's dealing with. You eventually get better from that. Uh, but the numbers that he put up is is the kind of thing at the highest level of play in the SEC. That's the kind of performance that ought to make you a first round pick, unless that is. The NFL teams don't believe what Josh Heupel saying, unless that is NFL teams look at the situation at Tennessee. They see speed of offense kind of uh, valued over anything else. And they see a simplified situation where, you know, it's almost I mean, to be frank, it's almost a little bit of a gimmick offense that that NFL teams, if they if they see Hendon Hooker that way, then after the first you know 32 picks in this year's NFL draft, Hendon Hooker will not hear his name called. So this is one of those things where 
<coughs> excuse me. This is one of those things where I think the NFL draft coming up on April, uh, what you know, late April. I, I think this is one of those things that becomes interesting for Georgia fans and SEC fans beyond just seeing your own team's players get their names called, seeing how the NFL draft actually views Hindenburger. The honest truth is they may take him in the first round. You know, you know, maybe he is that much of a talent. Maybe he is, you know, that impressive. Maybe, maybe what Heupel's saying is at least true enough that NFL teams say, yeah, you know what, we view Hindenburger as a first round quarterback. It is fair to point out that. Uh, uh, what was his name? The former Jets GM on ESPN the other day uh, was talking about how if he had a draft pick, he'd take him the top five. And it's also you know fair to point out that's a guy working on ESPN because he got fired from his previous job. So I'm not quite so sure his opinion necessarily carries a lot of weight, nor should it. But there are at least some people who think that Hendon Hooker is top prospect and that what Josh Heupel saying there might be true. But if we watch that first Thursday night of the NFL draft, if we don't see Hendon Hooker's name called, then I'm not quite so sure that Josh Heupel's statement there necessarily carries as much weight as it does. Because we at least know this, that the Tennessee offense is at least gimmicky enough that they have sacrificed a lot on defense in order to play the way they do offensively. And thus far, that trade-off is not working particularly well for them. And as you move into kind of year three, where it's, you, know, you kind of get to be a little bit of a you know, if you don't do it now, then you're kind of settling into what you are that, you know, year three, year four, we're going to find out, does Josh Heupel have a chance to be more than just a good coach? Because listen, Heupel's proven himself to be good. You know, he was surprising in his first year. They were, you know, quite effective in their second year. They clearly beat Alabama. What do you do year three, year four to take that next step as a program? Right now, I don't see them taking it because the offense is at least gimmicky enough. They've sacrificed too much defense in order to be able to do that. That to me is just the objective fact on the ground as it stands right now and that's the kind of thing that Josh Heupel has to fight against and how as I said how Hendon Hooker gets drafted going to go a long way towards telling us that but then there's this back to Kirby Smart and then we'll wrap it up and talk about something different I think the people and a lot of this is coming from Knoxville seemingly I think the people who want to make this into a thing I, I think the people up there in the Smoky Mountains who want to say oh it's on it's on between Josh Heupel and Kirby Smart y'all it's not on it's not. This is not a war of words. This is not a feud. Josh Heupel does not rise to Kirby Smart's level. He just does. Now, he may rise to Nick Saban's level because he's beaten Nick Saban head to head. But until he does something on the field to get Kirby Smart's attention, there is no feud between Josh Heupel and Kirby Smart. That's not the case. They, they are not on the same plane. They are not on the same level. And for the people who think this is some sort of passive aggressive subtweet on the part of Kirby Smart, I would invite you to go back through the annals of history. And we've played all this audio for you many times over the years. When Kirby Smart wants to take a jab at a coach, he does not veil it with all kinds of passive-aggressive nonsense. He doesn't. Think about the stuff that he said about <laughs> Paul Johnson over the years at Georgia Tech. After the 2017 game, he, he basically admitted, for those of you who've been because on the show that year, we talked a lot about a revenge tour, Georgia on the revenge tour, Georgia on the revenge tour, and that <laughs> – end of the season in 2017 when they beat Georgia Tech because Tech had beaten them in 2016 Kirby Smart acknowledged hey some of y'all been saying this is the revenge tour we just got the last box checked on that revenge tour from the previous year when Kirby Smart wants to take a jab at a coach he doesn't do it passive aggressively the same thing the following year against Paul Johnson Kirby acknowledged he didn't like competing against the uh, triple option offense and he said this number one strategy in order not to be bothered by the triple offense is beat that coach enough and then you want to play him anymore and that's exactly what happened Kirby Smart essentially uh, dominated the triple option offense defensively and Paul Johnson got fired Kirby basically called his shot on that I don't think he liked Paul Johnson I don't think he liked uh, the Paul Johnson style of play and basically announced (laughs) 
you know, preemptively that he was going to dominate Tech to the point that Johnson got fired and we'd never have to play against it again. That's exactly what he did. I think you can see similarly overt statements about Dan Mullen throughout the years. You know, he twisted the knife with Mullen about the whole recruiting issue after the uh, game in 2021 when Mullen was really getting hung out to dry by his own fans and his local media for their lack of recruiting success. Mullen's inability to articulate a recruiting plan going forward. And after that game there in 2021, I believe it was Connor Riley who asked him the question. Kirby went on for like two minutes about the importance of recruiting. Really twisting that knife in Dan Mullen. When Kirby Smart wants to take a jab at a coach, he doesn't do it passive-aggressively. Gus Malzahn, you get excited examples there over the course of the years when Malzahn was at Auburn there too. So when when and if Kirby Smart ever talks about Josh Heupel, we will know it. It won't be passive aggressive. It won't be some sort of veiled whatever. It won't be, you know, subtweet. It'll be direct. It'll be unmistakable. This is not what that was. Does Kirby Smart respect the Josh Heupel offense? Maybe not. But was he calling out Josh Heupel? I don't think that's necessarily true either. Tennessee fans seem to have, uh, you know, radar up about this kind of stuff. Josh Heupel himself seems to have an antenna up about some of this kind of stuff. But I would say to Josh Heupel, if your offense isn't gimmicky, then prove that by being a full and complete football team. Prove that by putting Hendon Hooker in the first round of the NFL draft. If you're not a gimmick, then prove it. And if you want to play on George's level, you need to prove that too. Until then, there is no feud between Kirby Smart and Josh Heupel. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Kroger, and we're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start first in 15, 945, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, so happy to have you across all of our video platforms here today. And then, of course, Radio Noon, App and Sports Radio 960, The Ref, as a podcast, wherever you find them including the world-famous dognation.com, Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just really, really glad to have you as a part of the program. We have a very busy show for you here today. And, of course, it's all made possible by our friends at Kroger. Now, as you're getting ready for Easter and all the great meal that goes along with that, family, friends, getting together, enjoying some great food, enjoying all that kind of great stuff, uh, enjoying the candy that goes in the Easter baskets and things like that. Well, listen, Kroger's got you great savings on all of this right now. Uh, you got uh, uh, everything you need for your Easter basket, candy, Easter uh, dying kits, so much more. You get all of that right there at your uh, local Kroger. Uh, so check out Kroger.com slash Easter for a lot more on that. That's Kroger.com slash Easter for a lot more on that today or just stop by in store and take advantage of all that that is uh really really good stuff it's uh great to have you here today jeff Sintel coming by we'll talk some uj recruiting with jeff here coming up in just a moment there's also some interesting news out there about a timeline being a little bit different for college football here uh in the immediate aftermath of g-day than maybe we initially anticipated we'll tell you what's going on with that today and we'll have some fun golden shoes to wrap things up on a friday there as well prior to that let's go around the doghouse and I want to do something here to kind of lead into Jeff Sintel's conversation with us here coming up in a moment. Jeff had a great story yesterday at DogNation.com. Jeff able to catch up with what I think is really one of the biggest names in the uh, recruiting sort of landscape for Georgia here in the class of 2024. But with the five-star defensive lineman, Edric Houston, out of the phenomenal Buford program here in the uh, metro Atlanta of area of Georgia. And uh, Edric Houston has now updated his timeline. He's got a late August decision date coming up here, which is certainly worth uh, paying attention to. And Jeff had a chance to talk to Houston about kind of where things stand right now. All the big names, Georgia obviously included, 
all the big names kind of in battle and in pursuit for Houston right now. And certainly in this particular interview with Jeff, Houston not giving away very much about kind of where things stand for him. Let me read this to you from the story with Jeff Sintel. Of course, there's plenty more in the story. You should read it for yourself at dognation.com. But good update from Houston himself. Uh, on his recruiting situation right now he says really everybody is in it meaning all of his top schools he says i don't want to just shut off all my options especially not this early it is not early early but it's still early enough for me to keep my options open you never know what could happen with college coaches especially especially the good ones at georgia alabama ohio state and oklahoma the coaches are able to go somewhere else and get a better job than the ones they have there uh, you never know when the coaches are going to change with assistants moving up and recruiting and things like that so houston kind of playing somewhat coy there with that you know kind of trying to keep it down the middle in terms of how he views his recruiting process which I think reinforced what a lot of us kind of already believe that the battle for Edric Houston here was going to be a big one and we've seen this sort of play out before just because Georgia has the geographic advantage that doesn't necessarily give it a home field advantage in comparison to the Ohio States and the Alabamas who as programs themselves have had a lot of success recruiting big time defensive linemen now there's one thing about Houston's recruitment in general that I want to ask Jeff Sintel about here coming up in just a moment but I think prior to that I think it's important to kind of highlight who I think stands as a very pivotal figure in all of this and it's a coach whose name has I think grown in stature a lot with Georgia fans over the course of the last couple of years and the results on the field maybe the number one reason why but in a recruiting situation like this I think you see the potential for a guy like Trey Scott to even take on an additional level of stardom that he's taken on in the past that Georgia has for itself right now one of the best defensive line coaches that exists anywhere in college football. Anywhere in college football, uh, Georgia has uh, one of those guys right now in the, in the person of Trey Scott. And there have been some rumors and some chatter this past offseason. Well, maybe Scott moves up and takes a defensive coordinator position somewhere else. Maybe he does something like that. Uh, Georgia was able to hold on to Trey Scott. I think that's a really good thing. And finding a way to hold on for as long as you can in the future going to be a big deal here there as well so as Edric Houston says hey I'm looking right now at all my top schools the Alabamas the Ohio States the Georgias I'm looking at those coaching staffs you know for those programs seeing a guy like 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 Trey Scott and the impact he's able to make here becomes really really important so as a way of kind of emphasizing that let me remind you of just how complimentary Kirby Smart has been but as defensive line coach Trey Scott in the past Trey obviously trying to do good stuff with Edric Houston here right now this is kirby smart on trey scott he's young he's energetic he's one of the best teachers and developers i've ever been around he pours into his uh young men they, they his unit takes a lot of pride in their performance as a unit and you see it kind of reflect in the way he leads uh he's got a great family great wife i mean he's uh, a class act he represents the university of georgia the right way and um he grew up under one of the legendary uh defensive line gurus and teachers and then Pete Jenkins and Pete is kind of world renowned for developing coaches and uh, Trey came up under Pete and uh, you know when you get one of Pete's guys you're going to get a good one and uh, we've been able to do that we've been very blessed to, to have Trey and his family here and um, he does a, a wonderful job recruiting pushing young men challenging young men and developing young men so that when they leave here uh, they're much better off. This is one of those things where if you're a Georgia fan, and I think it's way too early to know exactly how this Edric Houston recruitment is going to play out, but what you hope is the proof is in the pudding. 
obviously for a defensive end like Houston, the example of Trayvon Walker, very similar position, who goes on to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, you hope that stands as a proof of concept here. But in addition to that, you know, this year's NFL draft as an interior defensive lineman features Jalen Carter. He's going to be drafted in the top five, probably at least the top ten. You know, last year's NFL draft, in addition to Walker going number one overall, you know, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, they themselves also became first rounders there as well. That Georgia's on-field performance for defensive line, I don't think it could be better here over the course of the last couple of seasons. What you really hope is a guy like Houston sees that. A guy like Houston sees, and I even said this more in the story of the Jeff Centel, of who's going to develop me? Who's going to get the most out of me? You know, Who's going to turn me into the most valuable football commodity I can be on the other side of this football career? And I don't know that anyone right now can point to more tangible proof of their success than Trey Scott, Georgia than this particular defensive line and what you really hope is is that stands as a um as a real example of what Edric Houston could be here at UGA if you're a UGA fan I don't know that there are too many bigger names than Houston to consider for this class of 2024 really interesting stuff with Jeff Sintel and Houston there at dognation.com I think you should read that for yourself and as I said before I think you should stay close to dognation.com there as well uh, all weekend long updates from spring practice Georgia seemingly has moved its scrimmage it was supposed to take place on Saturday moved it up last night so you get some information there coming up on that who's looking good and who's uh you know kind of making a name for themselves as you head towards g-day next saturday something we'll get to see with our own eyes uh looking forward to all of that so uh, dognation.com's got you covered on that all weekend long and for the next week as we head towards g-day there on april 15th but for now here on dog nation daily presented by kroger for more on edric houston and a very i think anyway very interesting potential development for georgia in its pursuit of a five-star quarterback as well there's some new stuff out here on this that we'll tell you about here coming up in just a moment so let's cover all of that right now with jeff Sintel here on dog nation daily presented by kroger from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so let me bring in Jeff Sintel here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Great story at the website yesterday, dognation.com, with five-star defensive lineman Edric Houston. I'd put Houston up there as much as anybody. I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about Dylan Riola the last couple of weeks, but to me, Houston's right there alongside Riola in terms of importance here for this 2024 class. And, you know, Jeff, I'm curious. I'm always curious of your insight from your conversations because – what I read at dognation.com was a guy in Houston that's certainly not giving you a very emotional statement one way or another. Seemed pretty analytical about this. Did not seem to reveal a ton. I, I don't think we read a quote from the story before you joined us here just a moment ago where it seems like you know he's kind of trying to keep everybody in play and trying to make the best decision. It'll end here late summer, as you reported there at dognation.com but for now it sort of seems like this is still anyone's recruitment to win at least from that group of top schools which of course includes Georgia what else did you take from your conversation with Houston yeah good morning everybody uh happy uh Masters Friday happy good Friday most importantly um you know Brandon, the way I tried to do that was a little bit of parallel processing because you know there's a lot of kids out there that almost feel nervous if they don't have their official visits already set up by now. And some of them have, have, have had them set up for weeks and months at a time. Um, but Edric kind of looks at that the way he looks at them, like it's a prom. Everybody else is going to wear this flashy type suit with, you know, pastels or leopard prints or whatever. And he's just going for a classic, you know, white and black tops, more white actually than black. 
a very stately um, madman, madman, Dom, Dom Draper type man, Brandon, if you will. I know that's one of your favorites. But um, and here's a guy that he doesn't look like he's in any, any hurry at all. He's not going to enroll early because he knows once he gets to college, that's grown man stuff, and he's going to have to work. So he wants to soak up the high school experience a little bit more. Um, he's not in a, in a in a rush with his official business, but seems clear that like Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State. He's at Ohio State today, and I think that what's very interesting there is that's all. This is going to be his first real trip to Columbus, where he's taken a trip for a game for the Notre Dame game last year. They're a principal contender for Houston, it feels like to me. Uh, Clemson is another school he visited this week, and Georgia is another school he visited this week. Brendan, if you want your reading through the tea leaves segment uh, of our conversation today, I thought it was interesting how he mentioned um, community, how he mentioned the, the, the atmosphere and the environment in both Clemson and Ohio State. But then when I asked him, and really I laid it out exactly in the story of the conversation with what did you like best about Clemson? He mentioned community. He mentioned you can talk to anybody. He mentioned how open the campus is. And then I asked him the same thing about Ohio State. And he went on some very specific examples about it seems like the fans really support the team. He had a lot of energy. Um, then I asked him about Georgia. And he kind of just said everything. And to me, that was a different part of that interview where um, it wasn't just the crowd. It wasn't just the coaches. It wasn't just the development. And really, we were able to key on one certain thing with Edric Houston. If he is going to go to the place that he feel can develop him the most. And it's funny, in college football recruiting, Brandon, uh, Edric mentioned that he's, he's playing weights about 265. Uh, and he's like, he's a little too big for Coach D's room. That's Coach Ozzedrive's room for the outside linebackers. So I guess the prize he gets for being a little too big to be a part of Nolan Smith's Wolfpack room is he gets to go with his future millionaires club with Travion Scott on the defensive line. And, you know, that's a guy, Brandon, Georgia has prioritized him for the longest time. Um, the new quarterback, Sherpa recruiter, which is Montgomery Van Gorder, everybody calls him Gummy. Um, he's a Buford High guy. He came up out of the Buford High School program, and yet he still continues to recruit Edric Houston as hard as anyone, even though his lane is now five-star quarterback lane. Uh, this is a guy, Brandon, I've said it for a while, um, he was always the number one top target uh, on the top targets list until he, he dropped down to two because this stuff with Dylan Ryle and Georgia, I feel, is real. And I feel, uh, you know, say what you want about whether Dylan Ryle is a generational quarterback, but what will happen if Dylan Ryle does choose Georgia is he will bring generational, more likely generational players alongside with him. That's wide receivers, that's running backs, that's other guys, that's tight ends that could add to the class. I think you're more likely to get at least one truly great player out of maybe the whole Pied Piper Act happening, potentially Dylan Riola. So I want to get to the Riola part of this here in a minute because there are some very interesting developments on that we need to talk about. But let me tell you what the Edric Houston thing kind of reminds me of right now, and I'm curious to hear from you how much you think things have changed. This reminds me of a conversation that you and I have had a lot over the years where – when you are a truly elite prospect, and Edric Houston obviously is, 
three four defensive end can be a little bit of a tough sell i go back to like miles murphy's recruitment murphy went to clemson that's a four three program uh you know he had a chance to be kind of like more of like the rush edge rusher type player in that in that uh in that defense so when you're hearing when i'm hearing you say oh you know houston understands he's a little bit too big to be an outside linebacker georgia kind of that edge rush position and so therefore he ends up being the three four defensive end that's not always been the kind of thing that people have wanted to be elite players like Houston at a place like Georgia but obviously a lot has changed in the last two years because Trayvon Walker from that spot became the dadgum number one overall pick in the NFL draft so let me ask you how much is Walker as a proof of concept how much has that raised the profile of three four defensive end a position that maybe at times has been thought not to be that sexy how much does that all of a sudden now become the kind of place where a guy can say I can go on to NFL stardom playing this position where a couple of years ago I just think that Georgia had a hard time convincing players of that wow Brandon you got me smiling on Friday morning uh not not only was that a great question uh I I wish we could give Brandon some sort of award for great great question (laughs) from the interview podium um, it was a great question, and it was a relevant and topical question. But then you had the phrase, bad gun number one, uh, in there as well, <laughs> which perfectly <laughs> describes it for me, because the last two years have certainly changed, right? And it's not just dad gum number one, Trayvon Walker. It's dad gum future number one, Michael Williams, yeah. where they can put a talent like that, and they can show it. Um, and, and really, I... I I went straight to the task on the uh, question with Edric about, you know, how do you feel about Trevion Scott getting you to where you need to go? And he kind of gushed about it because he's like, look what he's done, taking guys and getting them into the league and a lot of different variety of body types and guys into the league now. We start looking at some of his, some of the Trevion Scott resume. I kind of think it's funny about those old threads on the forum, dognation.com, dognation forum, about people were actually wondering about Trevion Scott and whether he can get it done. And I would argue now he has as much job security as any assistant coach in the country um, in terms of what he does uh, for the Bulldogs, not only picking the right guys, finding the right gyms, but molding those dadgum number ones into surefire number ones. Um, the one thing I will say about Edric is I don't know if he does himself, gives himself enough credit and probably because that's why he's so humble. Um, he, you know, Brent, I, I like to throw things in there. I hope that the average reader may not pick up on, but I say it enough. I say it enough. I want to maybe, maybe wedge something into their head a little bit. Brent, what he's doing, and he's lost some weight right now. He's six four and a half. He's about two fifty five for track season. Brandon, I thought it was already astounding when he ran four hundred meters this spring or this early winter, late winter in 54 seconds and some change. And I asked him, like, what are your further goals? When that's already astounding for a defensive lineman to to run the 400 like that. And he said he's going to get it in a 52-second range. And, Brandon, that is a quantum leap in terms of that size, that athlete, which means that he's still probably going to be good enough to float from room to room. But he sounds like he's satisfied and content if he's simply a defensive lineman if he chose Georgia. I think that's a really big developmental piece going on behind the scenes. And um, I guess when we, all, we, we, we think about Edward Houston, I think I'm only doing my job to tell everybody out there that he did grow up in Atlanta. He wasn't a transplant from, to Gwinnett County from somewhere else. Uh, his probably ultimate dream in, in football is to play for the Falcons. 
or the Falcons, whatever you want to call it, uh, depending on your dialect this morning. Wait, does uh, anyone the, in, does in, anyone in, call them the Falcons? <laughs> Hold on. Does anybody no. call them the Falcons? I just had a, I had a, I had a British theme going through my mind right there for some reason, but uh, Brandon for the Falcons, it's a big deal. And he also, I'm not going to bury the lead here. He also grew up in a family full of Georgia fans, so the dogs will always be right there. You love that. You love that. All right, so let's go from one five star to another because there is, I think, some very interesting stuff out there involving. You know, in a roundabout way, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. I'll start with this. Quarterback named Elijah Brown, who goes to Mater D, has been quoted this. That's out in California, big-time program. A lot of folks are aware of that. He's been quoted this week saying that USC has amped up its recruitment of him as of late. Now, I guess I'd ask you, is that true? Because if it is... Jeff, that is a very interesting piece of evidence that all the online chatter connecting Dylan Rayola and Georgia as of late, that must be true. If USC is now recruiting a different quarterback, if you know Nebraska seems like they've kind of waved the white flag here a little bit, all of a sudden now, by process of elimination, you are definitely substantiating Georgia's relationship with Rayola here. Do you think it's true that um, that 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 USC is now recruiting a different quarterback? And by the way, I guess to add to this, you know, we started our show today by talking about coaches allegedly subtweeting other coaches. There were some people who thought that uh, uh, Lincoln Riley subtweeted Riola this week when he was talking about if you don't want to compete a quarterback, that's not the place for you, or something along those lines. So a lot of circumstantial evidence here that seems to suggest that that USC believes it might be out of it with Dylan Rayola. How real is that, Jeff? Yeah, Brandon, that's a lot to talk about there. Uh, number one, uh, I think, uh, listen, Lincoln Riley can tweet all he wants to, but let's just look at the way quarterbacks have thought for the last four or five years. When you stack up a lot of quarterbacks, kind of like what Georgia did when they stacked up Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, and Gunnar Stockton, that next cycle is going to be hard. And that's exactly what USC has with Caleb Williams and Malachi Nelson and what they're trying to do going forward with the quarterback position. They've got a lot of dudes stacked up there where the next two or three years are pretty much booked out or at least reserved for a talent that's already on campus. Um, very hard to counteract that. I'm going to do two things here. One, I'm going to make a clear statement. And then number two, I'm going to ask you what, in your mind, some of these things think and which is the most important. Here's my clear statement, Brandon. When it comes to Dylan Riola and Georgia, um, I, don't, I, I can say with some certainty that they're not really recruiting anyone else. They're not, there's no backup plan, especially, and I'm going to say this, when they have the luxury and confidence of already having a guy like Ryan Pugliki in the class. I, I, I feel like I'm doing our audience a disservice with all this Ryola talk. I don't continue to mention that Puglisi is acting like Brandon Adams' firstborn son would be when it comes to Georgia when he's a quarterback commitment, which means he sounds and acts and is going to be a proud bulldog, and he doesn't care who's coming in because that separation is there a little bit in quarterback position, along with all the heartfelt uh, thoughts and, and leans towards the University of Georgia. But for me, when I think of this Riola commitment, the best chance Georgia has for Riola, and Brennan, I want, I want this to kind of really sink in, it's not championships, it's not fancy facilities, the most important drawing card for Georgia right now is that practice field because the players see it and they yeah. do two things. One, they, they went all around. They went all the way around. And I'm not talking about the grass here. I'm talking about the dudes on the grass. They go all around and they see other schools practice, right? And 
I could write some scanning articles when I've heard from people about, hey, I go see this school practice, and then I go see this school practice, and it's not even close. There's no energy. There's no juice. Georgia really does act like it's eating off the floor. Riola, Dominic Riola, Dylan's own father said that, that Georgia acts like they haven't won a thing, and they're all coaching for their jobs, and it is very, very different. That's a big thing. That's like when somebody else listens to another daily podcast for Georgia football compared to the flagship Dog Nation daily. There's a clear difference there. Now, the second thing I want to have a little fun here, Brandon, is to me, I have, I have a pecking order in my mind, but I want to ask you, which one of these clues, because I know you follow them all across the interwebs, which one of these clues is the most telling for you? Is it social media, um, avatar, uh, decoration with pro-Georgia images for Iowa? Is it Georgia uh, is not recruiting any other quarterbacks besides Dylan Raiola along with Ryan Puglisi? That's two. Number three, is it there's only one official visit scheduled right now for Dylan Raiola, and that's to the University of Georgia? Um, that's a lot with just those three. Or then finally four, is it the news that you hear Southern Cal, one of the chief contenders for Raiola, is shopping elsewhere and trying to make sure it's got – a plan B or a plan 1A when it comes to the quarterback spot in this class. Yeah, it's one of those things seems like the most important. Well, it's definitely the last two, right? Because, I mean, we saw Georgia go all in on Arch Manning a year ago, and that obviously didn't work out. The, the, the gear on social media, that's been a false positive a million different times in the past. So it's really the last two. Primarily, I'd say it's the fact that he only has the one official visit scheduled right now. That's a pretty telling thing, especially paired with the fact that we now have – a lot of you know internet reporting that that USC's uh, recruiting a, a different quarterback. Uh, to me, you pair those two things together. I'll, I'll tell you what this reminds me of, Jeff. And look, I'm also open that something could change, and somehow you know you could have last minute whatever with all of this. But Jeff, this reminds me a lot of the Justin Fields recruitment in that. And I'm not a you know I'm not a reporter. I, I don't I don't do recruiting stuff for a living. I follow recruiting. I don't I don't report recruiting. But I, when I figured out that Justin Fields was coming to Georgia, the way that I figured that out was it became obvious that he wasn't going anywhere else. You had all this circumstantial evidence. Well, he's not going here, and he's not going here, and he's not going here. Eventually, Georgia was all that there was left. And if the Riola thing is really playing out the way that the Internet would have you believe right now, he's not going to Nebraska. There's growing evidence he's not going to USC it sort of gets to the point where Georgia's the only thing that there is left. And unless something changes, it just sort of feels like that's what the momentum is right now. Brandon, you're getting Dark Knight detective Bruce Wayne level sleuthing on all this right now because, to me, you and I have never had this conversation, but that's what it feels like. And, you know, the Justin Fields story, I don't know if we've ever told the whole Justin Fields story, especially the prequels, because nobody, nobody wants to hear what happens uh, after he gets to Georgia, what happens after that? But Justin, for the longest time, was a was a very secret lean to Georgia, and that was even you know when the Penn State, most people forget he was committed to Penn State as well. But then right after that, Georgia heats up, and then you go through his spring when Justin sets the world on fire. He's running four five laser forties, and you know for the longest time, then you saw the Matt Corral thing where Matt Corral. You know, comes to Georgia, and then he decides, yeah, yeah, well, let's be in Georgia, but not anymore. Like, there was a lot of circumstantial things. But but for me, I, I, this is what I would just double down on. If Georgia gets Dylan Raiola, I think the Bobo thing would be great. I think the Stafford thing would be great. I think the offensive lineman would be great. All that stuff is great. But in the end, a talent like that, 
when Dylan wants to accomplish big, big things in college football and he wants to play on those big stages that Georgia's been on for the last few years, he's simply going to look at Georgia. He's going to take a calculated measure of who he knows behind behind the scenes might be coming to Georgia and who he knows is already at Georgia. And he's going to realize that I want to practice against those guys all day. And that's the true competition I want and not so much competition, depth chart competition at quarterback. That's what he thinks is really the, the furnace that's going to get him to find his best football. And that's going against other all-American hardwired dudes. Kind of like what Amarius Hinn said yesterday in his presser. Uh, he wants to go against guys that are hungry and they want to eat off the floor and play against the very best players in the country because he knows Georgia will end up with a lot of them. All right, in the time we have left, I want to change the subject and talk about something completely different. We, had, we kind of had some fun the other day on the show about one of these national websites that had its story about, ooh, here are the incoming freshmen to be most paying attention to during spring games. And somehow the back-to-back national champions who had, what, the number two recruiting class in the country this past year, somehow they didn't have a name on the list, despite the fact they're like 21 or 20-whatever 20 number early enrollees uh, for Georgia here right now. So, you know, we've been trying to figure out, okay, well, since the national media won't give them any attention, like who are the Georgia freshmen who you'd be most excited about seeing on G-Day? These are guys that you recovered, that you covered as recruits. We're about to see them in a Georgia uniform for the first time next Saturday. I think Lawson Lucky is an easy name here because it seems like he's gotten a lot of buzz here this spring. I think that Roderick Robinson's an easy name here because he's obviously got an expanded opportunity because of the injury to a couple of other Georgia running backs. So if I spot your Rod written a spot your loss and lucky jeff give me you know a small handful of additional names there of you know guys that you think will be most notable as early enrollees in a georgia uniform for the first time next saturday right it's funny it feels like uh talking master's pitch with somebody right now because basically you just took the john wrong and the scotty Chester <laughs> off the board when you talk about you talk about those two guys right there in terms of your master's pools because I'm going to say this. I'm just going to underscore it in bold face in the Dallas title. Maybe the shining star so far in terms of a surprise, a burst, has been lost and lucky. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. He has turned a lot of heads. He had a big touchdown. He had some explosives. Uh, he's really ready to go. And um, that was no shock if you've been following a lot of our reporting on Lawson over the years. Um, Robinson is great, uh, especially because he, he's got a lot of tread on the tires. Be interesting to see what his weight looks like uh, at G Day and how fit he is. Because, um, man, if Georgia could ever get him at like 225, 228, 230, right around there, he would be a really fast thunder bat, really hard to get on the ground. Um, but I guess the, the name I go to, Brandon, I kind of centers on the weight a little bit. I want to see how healthy, how healthy and how fit Jamal Jarrett is because uh, Jamal Jarrett is somewhere around 330, 340 in his career. That's going to be the narrative we heard for the entire Jordan Davis career in Georgia. Kirby Smart and Travion Scott and just wanting to get the weight off of him. Um, I think the name that I, I got to be doing malpractice if I didn't mention it would be T.J. Allen. Uh, for me, that guy has got everything between the ears. He's got everything physically. Um, he's going to. He's got everything in the tool bag for for him to earn his own comparison one day. And that's probably the greatest uh, thing I can say about T.J. is. I think people will one day be comparing great linebackers at Georgia to C.J. Allen, more um, so than everybody rushing to say he's another middle Georgia phenom like a, like a Roquan Smith or if he's a cross between a Monty Rice and a Kobe Dean and all that stuff. I think he's going to make his own name at Georgia. Clearly motivated our next generation story this week. should go up today. It's about C.J. Allen. I think A.J. Harris, Brandon, I'm, I'm going to categorize him 
as the you know that you know who that person that has been that standby that that one that was always locked in for the longest and sometimes with recruiting classes people tend to forget the the, the first one to come through like AJ Harris was the first. Remember when he committed to Georgia Brennan, he was still yeah. a five star and then he was he was seeing nowhere else and then the ranking slid. How many times have we seen that with the with the recruiting industry where a player sure. certainly looks like a five star when there are three or four teams after him, but then like when there's no chance and there's no drama and the kid is locked down and not visiting anywhere, but all of a sudden the uh, recruiting rankings fall from like number twenty five in the country to number thirty five or funny how that works out. Yeah, it's funny how that works out. It's kind of a marketing business, no doubt about it. It's a smart business model. You got to sell the current sizzle, um, and then you know, I think I could say a lot about Raylan Wilson. We, we've written about Janelle Aguero. I'd like to see him do a little bit more. I'd like to hear a little bit more about Adam Janelle Aguero so far. And then uh, nobody gets excited about offensive linemen, Brandon. But I really want to see how Monroe Freeland can hold up on the edge against a quartet, against a six sextet, I guess. Of, really hungry outside rushers. I mean, I think, Brennan, let's be real. Let's try to be calculated and and topical and honest here. The really people that should flash in this spring game and this spring drills for Georgia would be some of those 2022 freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Heard some good things about C.J. Madden. That's another guy that kind of got buried under the weight of guys like, you know, Darius Smith or then, like, the new faces coming in, like the – uh, Samuel and Pemba, the Dane Wilson, the Gabe Harris, you know, everybody wants to do, go over the shiny new things, but really a lot of those guys that were kind of back to your players um, in the 2022 class that got redshirted and didn't look like Malachi Stark and Mikael Williams and Jalen Walker, those quick, quick immersions, those quick flash guys, I think this has been a very important spring for them as well. Really interesting stuff, Jeff. I really appreciate that. I hope you're heading towards a happy Easter weekend. We appreciate your time here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger today. Enjoy, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Falcons and dadgum number one, folks. Remember that if you remember anything out of the show. No doubt, Jeff. Thanks so much. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so Jeff, at one point, Tom's like, yeah, you know, whether you say Falcons or you say Falcons, it's sort of like, hey, you say tomato, I say tomato. I've, 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 I've actually never met anyone who says tomato. I don't think I live in, like, a fancy enough, like, area. Like, I don't think my circle is, you know, fancy enough to have anybody who actually says tomato, nor do I think anybody ever says Falcon. I guess you've heard Millennium Falcon before, although I would say Millennium Falcon. So I don't know. I don't know. That's a, <laughs> it's a very... A very interesting observation from Mr. Sintel right there. More of those kinds of observations, by the way, coming up on our Dog Nation cruise. We're getting close, y'all. Post-G-Day, we're essentially there, which I'm excited about and ready for. And I know many of you are there, too. After spring practice and things like that, you sort of need a little bit of a recharging of the batteries. And a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, we believe, is the best way to do all of that. And obviously, we wish that everybody could be with us on board the uh, Independence of the Seas. We're going to be leaving out of Port Canaveral on April 24th. April 28th is when it ends. That's the the last night of the draft uh, of, the, of the cruise, by the way. It's the first round of the NFL draft. This huge draft party. We have so many special things. We have an amazing like, trivia contest we've been doing. Like, so many special events for Dog Nation folks on our Dog Nation cruise. It's going to be an unbelievable time, and I'm really excited about having all of you were there with us for it and if you can't be with us for this which you could be but if you can't be next best thing is getting your own royal caribbean cruise vacation i continue to hear from so many of you and we'll actually share this more before we're done in today's show about you 
connecting with the Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation, using our friend Jessica Slater to help book that up with you. And it just sounds like Dog Nation's enjoying this right now just as much as I am, which makes me very, very happy. So give Jessica a call, uh, 770-718-9147. That's Jessica Slater, travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean, the one we've trusted to handle all of our booking needs for our Dog Nation cruise, the one we would recommend for your own booking needs for your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You also check out a website that she's put together called RoyalDogs.com. It was initially a website to sort of educate folks about the Dog Nation cruise, but you can use that as a way of accessing, you know, her info there too. RoyalDogs.com for more on that. Can't wait to see you on board of the Dog Nation cruise coming up April 24th to the 28th. Boy, what a great time that is going to be. All right, so let's talk about something here for a moment. This is this is important. Um, Nicole Auerbach, long time, I guess, sort of national type, you know, reporter type, uh, working for the Athletic. She put something on Twitter that I think is worth our attention. Let me show this to you here for a moment. Um, so she says, FYI, the spring transfer window for college football begins April 15th. Not sure if everyone realized it moved up because it's supposed to be May the 1st. But she's, she kind of cites something here from the Division One Council's October meeting. I'm going to read this a little bit. This is super boring, but this is important. So follow me through this boring thing to get something important. She's, she quotes here, the council adopted proposal, uh, blah, 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 uh, as non-controversial legislation in football, effective immediately to move the spring notification of transfer from May 1st to the 15th to April 15th through the 30th. Uh, the thing from the NCAA goes on to say the change in the spring window allows coaches and student athletes to have athletics participation conversations after spring football and before the start of the summer athletics activities, allowing student athletes time to enter the transfer portal, evaluating opportunities at other institutions and arrive at a new institution before beginning summer. So, so the point is, is it was supposed to be May the 1st to the 15th, but apparently it's been changed to April 15th through the 30th. And I didn't know this. I don't know that anybody necessarily did. I'm sure there are plenty of people who are smarter than me. But this is new news for me. So what was supposed to be a spring portal window starting in May actually begins on G-Day. Now, obviously, on a Georgia-themed show, our next question is going to always be, well, is this good or bad news for Georgia? And I guess in a roundabout way, it's probably you know, it's probably whatever you think. You can take that down now if you want to. It's probably, you know, whatever you, you might think you know, you could sort of argue this both ways. Like on the one hand, hey, better to go ahead and start doing all this, not have to wait till May, because that just gives you more time, as the the statement of the NCAA said, more time to kind of get into your summer activities and have your roster set going into that. But on the other hand, you know, the one thing we know is the worst kept secret in all of college athletics is is that tampering is a real thing. So the transfer portal opens on April 15th. you got to assume there's tampering being taken place with guys on rosters right now. Does that become a distraction for them as they go through spring practice? I guess that's the first question I ask is, is that no one seems to have the appetite to actually do anything about tampering, which I think is a huge mistake. I think you only have a sport to the extent that you have rules to govern the sport and not acknowledging this as a rule, I think it's just kind of a silly thing. So if the portal opens April 15th now, as Nicole Auerbach is reporting there, that means guys are being tampered with right now, both at Georgia and other places, as they're going through spring practice. So is that an issue? I'm not quite so sure. Uh, but moving this up really, really matters because that means on G-Day and then the two weeks to follow that, it's going to be Wild West possibly maybe. It's important to note that last year after the spring practices came to a conclusion, 
that the transfer portal actually probably wasn't as crazy as some folks thought it was going to be. It actually ended up being a little tamer than maybe we anticipated. But that doesn't mean the same thing's going to be true this particular year on this window that we now understand to be April 15th through the 30th. Let me give you a piece of evidence that proves that. Because Hugh Free said something. This is the Auburn coach, of course. Hugh Free said something this week that gives you an idea of just how wild all of this could be. Um, let me find this quote because I want to read, make sure I read this accurately. So he said this, and he kind of said it kind of flippantly and casually when he's not talking about wanting to schedule somebody else for a spring game. Uh, he sort of said this kind of off the cuff here this week and some folks were like, wait, what? All right. So um, he, he goes on to say this. I'm going to read the entire quote from Hugh Freeze. This is from AL.com. He says, none of us have ever dealt with this spring portal, meaning the one that's about to open up on April 15th. He says, this is going to be our first experience with it. It can affect you both ways. I think you can lose some that may not want to lose. And obviously, you hope that there's some out there that you can uh, track to help create more depth and experience in the team. Now, now hey, listen to what he goes on to say here. He says, we're going to take a few more offensive linemen, another safety, another corner, a rush guy, and we'll take a quarterback if it's the right one that's out there. So Hugh Freeze just told us they're going to take a few offensive linemen, um, potentially three starters on defense, and then eh, maybe another quarterback uh, if there's one on sale. Like, I mean, can you believe – like, this is an idea. This is an Auburn team saying we're looking for as many as what? five positions or whatever so if that's what auburn's saying you better believe that florida's saying the same thing we talked about tennessee off the top i'm sure they'd like to find an sec level defensive starter goodness knows they don't have enough of those uh, as evidence would point out 63 points allowed to south carolina just one example of that um so there are a lot of sec teams gonna have their hand in the air saying we are open for business if there are big time transfers that enter the portal we are open for business to bring you in last year at this time i think and i think this is just objectively true the SEC level player in the transfer portal, there actually just weren't a lot of them. For whatever reason, there just weren't very many of them. So does does all of this, you know, I guess situation right now, does this create a large scale amount of players shopping around? You know, guys who've been through spring practice, they don't like where they are on the depth chart. They don't like kind of how that stands. Does this create a wilder portal? I honestly don't know. And I, I think we're all going to have to find this out. It could be, you know, quiet like it was a year ago. But my guess is it actually kind of won't be that quiet if guys like you freeze are saying we're looking for five starters. Like that's, you know, that gives you an idea of how wild and crazy all of this could be here in just a little bit. And by the way, you know, all of this kind of creates dominoes too because you know, let's not speculate about Georgia. Let's just use some other program for a minute. Let's say it's Alabama, uh, just for the sake of conversation. Let's say that someone is pried off the Alabama roster. Well, if that happens, now all of a sudden Alabama's got to go out and get an Alabama-level player to bring into its program. All of a sudden, now you got this guy falling this way, and all of a sudden, you know that it's like a you know you know how the coaching carousel begats more change at coaches because once one guy gets plucked, now that program's going to pluck from somewhere else. That's the other thing that's going to happen here, and you better hope that you don't lose your starter April thirtieth because at that point, down the transfer portal is closed. So, I mean, it's it's going to be pretty weird, weird and pretty wild here. And uh, I think that Hugh Freeze's words on all of that uh, give us a uh, pretty strong indication. Finally, one more thing here. A guy who's been pretty outspoken as of late has been ESPN analyst Greg McElroy. And McElroy was talking on his uh, – he has his podcast, you know, does his thing. Um, and so he's trying to, like, sort of calm the nerves of some Falcons uh, – not Falcons fans. I got Falcons on the brains after Jeff Centel's Falcon line a moment ago. Uh, he was trying to calm the nerves of some Florida fans. 
And uh, Greg McRoy's trying to, like, I guess kind of take, let the Florida fans down easy, sort of talk them off the ledge here a little bit, because he says uh, when it comes to Florida, they're going to be good again. This is a quote from Greg McElroy during his podcast. Everything is cyclical, but, McElroy says, I just don't think the, the Gators are going to be very good this year. With all due respect to the Florida Gators, what they bring back, there are still question marks. You're still figuring things out on defense. That's the case. The other thing I don't think anyone's talking about enough as it relates to Florida is they lost transfer offensive linemen. Their offensive line, on a team last year that was pretty wretched, their offensive line actually wasn't too bad. Um, that was actually a strength for Florida, believe it or not, a year ago. And I think on paper right now, it sort of stands the Florida offensive line actually expects to be worse this year than it was a year ago. So take a team that had a losing record last year and give them a worse offensive line. How does that work out, typically speaking? Some of y'all seen enough football to know on that particular point. So that's the point that Greg McElroy is making that, um, that, you know, Florida, one of these days you'll be good again. You know, eventually the sun will shine down there in Gainesville again, I guess, but just not this year. And I believe that McElroy is probably right about that. Unless, to go back to what he said a moment ago, I truly believe that Billy Napier last year, this is one of those things I just sort of have a strong intuition on. I truly believe that Billy Napier, and part of the reason why I have a strong intuition about this, because Napier himself sort of said this, that he basically announced, hey, nobody's going to be more active in the transfer portal than we're going to be. If I had to guess, I believe that Billy Napier had a template like what Mel Tucker had done in 2021 at Michigan State. They built a Big Ten contender almost solely out of the transfer portal. And I think that Billy Napier thought he might be able to do the same thing at Florida. But as I told you before, there just were not a large number of elite level players in last year's spring transfer portal. The portal that existed, you know, after, you know, Napier had gotten the job there at Florida, there just wasn't, we've had supply chain issues. There were supply chain issues in the transfer portal a year ago. The shelves just were not very well stocked. And so Billy Napier, after calling a shot of, we're going to go and be as aggressive as anybody in the transfer portal. They didn't really have a lot of guys to take. And even some of the guys I think he was hoping to process out of the Florida program, they end up sticking around because Napier's like, we don't really have anybody to replace you with. This is me guessing, but that was kind of what kind of went on there. So I think that what um, I think that what Greg McElroy is saying right there about Florida is likely true. My guess is that Florida is probably heading for another losing season. But Florida or Auburn or so-and-so in the SEC – I think fortunes could be changed if you get enough transfer pl players and if you have enough room for transfer players and if there's a high enough level of transfer player out there. So the point is, is we're going to have, you know, relatively calm week next week. We'll have a really fun G day. And then after that, we're going to buckle our seatbelts for what could be a wild ride for a couple of weeks. And obviously we'll be here for every twist and turn of all of that. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of royal caribbean now we're heading towards a weekend and this is obviously uh, a pretty busy weekend a lot of us getting ready to uh, uh enjoy easter with our families and all the stuff that goes along with that a lot of folks are also trying to settle in hopefully get a chance to watch some golf at the masters if the weather will cooperate and of course when we think about going into a weekend we try to have a big finish to our friday to go into that weekend of course when we think about big finish around here we also think about our friends at the finish long drink there as well and i saw a really funny uh finished long drink meme i want to show this to you on the screen here for a moment so one of the things you hear me talk about a lot is the the long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume so what the finished long drink put out on twitter is, is they said hey it's basically the same thing so you can be either getting strong by drinking some finished long drink or getting strong by working out hard in the gym now i don't have to tell you which of those two i'm probably a little bit more familiar with a lot more familiar with the long drink strong than i am the gym strong but nonetheless whatever you're enjoying 
in that particular direction this weekend. We hope you enjoyed it. Of course, to finish long drink, if you've never tried it before, this is a great chance for you to enjoy that and find out what it's all about. Uh, you can go to thelongdrink.com and put in your zip code. You can find out where you can pick up some finished long drink here today, whether it be the long drink strong, you want to try that, or the long drink cranberry, which obviously is the cranberry flavor, the traditional, the blue can, the gin kick, the grapefruit flavor, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. For those of you who do want to kind of work on your gym physique a little bit, that's a great choice for all of that. Whichever option you think you'd like, you can sort of figure it out. There's also the eight can variety pack that gives you two different cans of each of the four finished long drink varieties. When you're there at the website, thelongdrink.com, you can also find out about the great story that kind of tells us how the finished long drink ended up here uh, in America. started in Helsinki back in the 1950s when the summer games were there, and it's been in America now for a few years. Now it's in Georgia and everywhere else. So go to thelongdrink.com, learn more about the finished long drink story, and find out where you can pick some of it. I think it's great for spring and summer being outside a lot more. To me, the finished long drink just goes great when you're outside. So try some finished long drink today online at thelongdrink.com. All right, great collection of golden shoes to go into a weekend with. Let me show you the first one on the screen here. I thought this was really funny. Speaking of Florida, and part of the reason they're so bad right now is the previous coach was really bad too. And so speaking of Dan Mullen, he put this out on Twitter the other day. Uh, he goes, uh, where am I? Basically a nice tropical location. And he lets folks know that he's in, uh, is it Abacos, Abacos? Where is that? I've never even heard of that. You can tell I'm not a rich person because like rich people are going to a place I've never even heard of. <laughs> Like, I have no idea where Gabbers on Guana Cay is. So apparently Dan Mullen living that charm life with the million dollars, whatever buyout he got. Well, uh, Bodog on Twitter says, says it gives me great satisfaction to know that the Gators have uh, financed a luxury life for you, Dan. Well done, which I think is really funny, knowing that uh, all that buyout money that Florida had to give Dan, he's using to go to a tropical locations like this very funny from bodog there on that and then somebody making fun of me speaking of lies he's thinking gators so we had tony barnhart the other day on and tony was talking about you know a very important cause that he's raising money for and he mentioned one of the guys that's helping him with this is former florida quarterback danny werfel who is legitimately a great guy and i Derek green writes in to say when tony barnhart mentioned danny werfel the true gator hater i came out of ba and so you see if you're watching on video this sort of scowl on my face i will tell you a story part of the reason why i think that what Derek says it's so funny there is because when tony who's a great guest when he mentioned danny werfel i was about to come in and sort of say something snarky and you know classless or whatever it is that i would you know might do in a situation like that and then i remembered oh yeah they're raising money for an important cause in honduras so let me not make fun of danny werfel this particular time and at least sort of let him get some credit for doing something good alongside tony barnhart right there so i paused and prevented myself from making some sort of joke at the expense of danny werfel and Derek green caught that and shared that which i think is uh really very funny and then finally one more golden shoe for today speaking of enjoying a royal caribbean cruise vacation a perfect day coco k cannot wait to be there coming up in a couple of weeks our buddy Matt Forshe writes in to say, hey, Dog Nation Daily, just letting you know that today was a perfect day at Coco Cay. Lots of dogs out on Royal Caribbean's Independence of the Season, Coco Cay. That's awesome to see. And Matt enjoying himself a little nap there, uh, right there uh, at Coco Cay there as well. That is a great thing to see. Matt will give you a golden sh shoe, too, for your enjoyment there. Perfect day, Coco Cay. Cannot wait to be doing that ourselves here very soon. Great crop of golden shoes to close out our week here by the way speaking of the lousy stinking gators our gator hater countdown 200 four days from right now georgia in jacksville could be for the last time maybe beating up on florida again that's going to be fun to watch then and we hope you have a great weekend now we'll see you back here monday for dog nation daily presented by kroger